Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read all 20 verses of Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I can't tell you how happy I am that you and I are all together here on Easter Sunday in 2019. And I don't know all of you, of course, but I'm I'm standing up here with the assumption that everybody in this room, certainly most everyone in this room, believes that Jesus Christ came to earth somewhere around 2,000 years ago on this weekend, and that on Good Friday, he was crucified, nailed to a cross that he didn't deserve. We deserved it, but he didn't. But he went to that cross in our place. And I'm here under the assumption that most everybody, if not everybody here, not only believes that he died on a cross on Good Friday, but that on Sunday morning, That first Easter Sunday, that first Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, and he still lives to give us life. That joint event on that first weekend, 
The crucifixion and the resurrection culminate together to make up the most significant, the most transformational, the most important event in the history, not only of humanity and not only of earth and not only of our solar system, but the most significant transformational event in the history of the entire universe. Everything, everything that has any eternal meaning at all is vested in the events of that one weekend. And so if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come? The most obvious answer and correct answer would be he came to die on a cross for our sins and to be resurrected, to be raised again, to give us eternal life and to give everyone eternal life. If we receive him, believe him and follow him in our lives. We don't know exactly how many years Jesus was here on earth. Traditionally, it's believed that he was 33 years old when he died. We don't know that for sure. Most Bible scholars today believe that Jesus was born sometime around the year 6 B.C., 4 to 6 B.C. And if he died, as we believe, on Good Friday, which was also also Passover, Passover and Good Friday, which don't always Uh, aligned together. They did align together in the year 30 AD. And so if Jesus was born in 4 to 6 BC and he died in 30 AD, then he was somewhere between 33 and 36 years old when he died. But if the only reason that he came to earth was to die on a cross and be resurrected, assuming that he lived between 33 and 36 years, he could have done that at age 15. He could have done it at age 12. He could have done it at age 20 or 23 or 25 or even 30. And so while, yes, the most important reason Jesus came to earth was certainly to die on a cross and be raised the third day, there have to be more reasons that Jesus came. If we were to ask that question to a lot of Bible scholars, we would hear a number of answers. I was reading an article recently that was trying to answer the question, what did Jesus come to do? And there were a number of reasons that the author of that article gave. And I want to give you some of the reasons that he gave before I give you my reasons for why Jesus came. In that article, the guy said this, he says, Jesus came, first of all, to reveal the Father, to reveal God the Father to us. And he quotes Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, where Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus came to reveal to us God the Father. He also came to serve and be a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. He also came to save the world. You and I know John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse, but not that many of us know the verse right after that. Verse number 17, which says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world 
through him might be saved, to save the world through him. So Jesus came to save the world. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom. Jesus also also tells us, shockingly, that he came to bring division. Imagine that, Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace? This is the Prince of Peace saying this. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? I'm telling you, I came to bring division. But he also came to do the will of the Father. John chapter 6, verse 38. I have come down from heaven, Jesus said, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He came to do the will of the Father. He also came to give the Father's words to us. John chapter 17, verse 8. In the middle of a very intimate prayer, Jesus was praying to his heavenly Father. He says this, For I gave them, my disciples, the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. In John chapter 18, verse 37, we find out that Jesus came to testify to the truth. He's talking with Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the Roman procurator at the time. Pilate has the power to sentence Jesus to death. And so Pilate says this, he says to Jesus, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is all about truth, truth that seems so evasive in our world. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came For the purpose of destroying Satan's power. He says, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is, the devil. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that Jesus came for the purpose of fulfilling the law and the prophets. Jesus said in verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we find out that Jesus came for the purpose of giving us life. Jesus said in verses 10 and 28, He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we find out that Jesus came for the purpose of tasting death for everyone. The writer there says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He came for the purpose of atoning for sin. Again, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every ways in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Luke tells us in chapter 4, verse 18, a quote from Jesus 
that he came to proclaim freedom to believers. Jesus, there quoting Isaiah, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. He came to bring judgment. John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. He came to call sinners. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a physician, a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So those, if I counted right, are 16 reasons that are most commonly given for why Jesus came. What he came to do. What he came to accomplish. And so let me add just a few more that I think are often overlooked. First off, I I want you to know that Jesus came for the purpose of upending religion. He came to upend the religion that was so uh, widely accepted in his day. Think about this. Now, I know many of you have, have pretty strong Christian beliefs. I'm assuming that. Imagine if somebody came to you sometime this week and tried to get you to abandon your Christian beliefs and totally embrace their beliefs, uh, knowing that their beliefs are totally at odds with what you current believe, currently believe. How likely would you be to just immediately drop what you believe and, and accept what someone else believes? Well, I can't speak for anyone else here, but I can tell you that for me personally, that would be like, no way. That's not going to happen for me. And yet when Jesus came to earth, he came to upend, I mean to totally turn on its head the religion of his day. Not because the Old Testament was bad, but because people of his day had so misunderstood what the Old Testament was saying that they were following a religion that appeared to be right, but it was not right, and they thought it was right, and Jesus had to convince them that it was not right and try to get them to abandon it in favor of what he came here to do. You see, the Old Testament, the, the old people in, in Jesus' day, here's what they believed. They believed in the Old Testament, but they believed that in order to be saved, you had to obey all the commandments. And there weren't just 10, there were over 600 of them. We just are most familiar with 10 of them. They were, in order to be saved, they had to obey all those commandments, plus they had to adhere to every Jewish religious uh, worship ritual. And then they also needed to be circumcised. And so imagine when Jesus came and said, hey, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You no longer have to sacrifice. You no longer have to be circumcised. You no longer have to follow those religious rituals in in Judaism. And and you you no longer have to try to earn your way. Instead, I'm going to do that for you. All you have to do is receive me as your Savior. Receive me by faith. And just like a lot of people here today, in our world today, there were those who said, that sounds too good to be true. Can't do that. That's not the way. We got to make it hard. We got to make it hard. It's amazing to me how many of us are always in an effort to make our, our faith hard. When it was never meant to be hard, Jesus came and he says, look, I paid the price for you. All you have to do is believe in me, receive me as your Savior and your Lord, and follow me. That's all you have to do. 
whenever Jesus was crucified and then resurrected and then 40 days later he ascended back to the Father. That's Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost comes and the church is birthed. Thousands of people are saved. And one of the first and, and most frequently committed uh, mistakes and problems that faced the early church was this. There were people who said, okay, wait a minute. Uh, we get this Jesus thing. We're good with Jesus. We're good with the fact that he was crucified, resurrected. We're good with, with receiving him in order to be saved. But let's add some requirements. Let's, let's, let's retain some of our old beliefs. So you receive Jesus, plus you have to obey all the commandments, plus you have to follow the Jewish religious rituals, plus you have to be circumcised, all these other things. And there, there, there arose a big battle. A big conflict within the early church over the requirements for salvation. Is it enough to receive Christ by faith and nothing else to be saved? Or do we need to add these commandments and add these rituals and add circumcision? And the church was divided. And so they met in Acts chapter 15, the, the, the first major church conference. They gathered all the Christian leaders from all over the area. They came together to settle this question. And on paper, they settled it. They said, we're not going to require the commandments. We're not going to require the rituals. We're not going to require circumcision. The only thing we're going to require is you receive Jesus Christ by faith. You believe in him. Because salvation is by grace. By grace meaning it is free. There isn't anything that we can do to accomplish it, to earn it, to merit it, to deserve it, to be worthy of it. Jesus has covered that. We must simply receive it. But understand, that went against everything many of those folks had been raised to believe. Jesus came to upend their religion. What does that mean for us today? I will tell you that while many of our beliefs are right, many of our, our practices are good, in Christianity today, there are beliefs, there are viewpoints, there are practices that are so at odds with the true, uh, uh, the true reason for, for why Jesus came to earth. He's here to upend your religion too, as well as mine. Jesus came to upend religion. Second, he came to disrupt the status quo. He came to disrupt the status quo. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is the Prince of Peace saying this. He says, I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You see, for those folks who thought that the Messiah was going to come and make everybody comfortable, or for those folks who thought the Messiah was going to come and give pleasure to everybody, make everybody happy, those folks were sorely disappointed. And my friends, let me tell you this. You and I today, if we think that Jesus' main goal in life is to make us comfortable, to make us prosperous, to make us, uh, uh, to, to please us, to make us happy, we've missed the point. Jesus, if anything, has come here to disturb your status quo. Jesus was not a status quo person. And you know what? In uh, almost 40 years worth of ministry, what I've noticed, the folks who most like the status quo are pretty regular churchgoers. 
We like the status quo. We like what's familiar. We don't want anybody to disrupt our little rut. We like to dig our own rut, and we like to build a campfire in it, and we don't want anybody moving us, don't want anybody asking us to change, nothing like that. And what we don't realize is that Jesus comes along, and he starts throwing dirt in our rut and pulling us out of our ruts, and we fight him all the way. We need to remember on Easter Sunday that Jesus Christ came to disrupt the status quo. Number three, he came to reverse fortunes. What do you think Jesus came to do in your life? Just make a whole list. And here's something I'll guarantee you. Some of the things on that list are just the opposite of what Jesus wants to do. Because he wants to reverse fortunes. John chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into the world, so that those who do not see may see, and so that those who see may become blind. You see, when Jesus came, there were certain people who thought they had everything figured out. Oh, I, I've got it all figured out. It wasn't that they could physically see. They thought they could emotionally, realistically, spiritually. They thought they had arrived at a place where they could see everything clearly and every viewpoint and every opinion they had was perfectly clear and perfectly right. And Jesus said, you know what? I've come so that you folks who think you can see will be blinded. And the folks who realize that they're blind will be able to see. Boy, if we ever live in a time... If we have ever lived in a time where so many people think they have everything so figured out, it is the day in which we live. And Jesus, just like he did to his day, is here for our day. And he's saying, hey, you folks, you folks who think you've got it figured out, you, think, you folks who think you're absolutely right, most if not all the time, guess what? You are to be blinded. On the other hand, those who realize that they can't see, those will be given sight. He came to reverse fortunes. Fourth, he came to give hope to the hopeless. There's so many scriptures that I could point to for this that I really don't have time to give them all. But let me just mention one. It's my favorite one. It's not the only one. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples have been up in the northern part of the country in Galilee. And Jesus said, we got to go to Jerusalem. In John, it would be their only trip to Jerusalem. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke show three different trips uh, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke show one trip to Jerusalem. In John, there are at least three, maybe four, but they're, in John chapter 4, they're going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Usually, a, a devoted Jewish person would not go the direct route because they didn't want to go through Samaria. Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them. In fact, they hated each other. And so a, a devout Jew who's up in Galilee, would go across the Sea of Galilee to what is now Jordan. From there, they'd go down the eastern side of the Jordan River until they got below Samaria, and then they would cut across the Jordan River to get to Jerusalem, all going around your elbow to get to your thumb to avoid going through Samaria. So the, the disciples were shocked when Jesus said to them, guys, we got to go through Samaria. We're not going to take the long way. We're going to go straight. They go through Samaria. They get to a place where Jacob's well was dug. Very, it was a monument, a tourist attraction. And Jesus, by this time it was noon, it was time for lunch. They didn't have any food. Jesus sent the disciples down to Bradley's Big Buy. Yes, they had a Bradley's Big Buy, Piggly Wiggly over there at that time. And the disciples went on to get him something to eat. Jesus sat down by the well, but evidently he was perched on, the si on one side of the well. So if you approached him from the other side, they couldn't, you couldn't see him. And the Bible says that there was a woman. 
She came alone. She was carrying pails to put water. She was to draw water from the well and take them back. The thing about this lady was this. Most people who came to draw well from that, uh, water from that well, they would come early in the morning or late in the evening because that, those two times were the cool times of the day. Instead, she came during the hottest time of the day, 12 noon, and there was good reason. She had been married five times. She'd been divorced five times. She was living with a man with whom she was not married. She, she was a person who every time she showed her face, there was always somebody gossiping about her. There were always people sneering at her, always people talking about her. Nobody wanted to be friends with her. She felt so isolated, so alone. This woman felt as hopeless as anybody could feel. And so she came to the well. And about that time, Jesus popped his heads up and he said, Hey, would you give me a drink? Now, keep in mind this. Cultural norms at that time were like this. First of all, a man would not speak to a woman he did not know. And a woman wouldn't speak to a man she didn't know. You just didn't, that, you, that just didn't happen. Second, a Jewish person like Jesus would never speak to a Samaritan woman like this unnamed woman in John chapter 4. Neither would she speak to a Jew. And so for Jesus to talk with her betrayed all of the cultural norms. Nobody did that, but Jesus did that. And by the time he got through with his conversation, this woman had eternal life. She had gone home and gotten all the people, including the folks that that run her down all the time. Talk about grace on the part of a woman. She brings them to Jesus. They get saved. And it all started because Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. The chances are pretty good that somewhere in this congregation, there's someone who you feel like you're made fun of all the time. You feel like people put you down all the time. You feel like people are gossiping about you all the time. Some of what they say may be true. A lot of what they say is probably not true, but somebody's... Listen, if if you are that person, let me tell you something. You have a best friend in Jesus Christ. He gives hope to the hopeless. In fact, you may be his favorite person. Finally, Jesus came to live, to die, to live again. You say, well, obviously, he came to live. Well, he came to live, but that's incomplete. Somebody said, well, he came to live to be crucified. He came to live to die. Yes, that's true, but that's incomplete. He came to live, to die, to live again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 16, The Apostle Paul said this, talking about the resurrection of the dead. He said, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. That is, it is worth nothing and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that is, died in Christ, are lost. For if only in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But he doesn't end there. Verse 20 says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam everyone dies, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so here we are on Easter Sunday 2019. And we're addressing the question, what did Jesus come to do? And of all the things that we could have said, we said this. We said he came to upend our religion. 
If your religion hasn't been challenged lately, wake up. He came not only to upend religion, but to disrupt the status quo. He came to reverse fortunes. He came to give hope to the hopeless. And he came to live, to die, to live again. And why did he do all this? Here's why he did all this. Because he loves you like nobody's business. Let me, let me just pose this because I, I, I sense, I didn't sense this earlier, but I sense it now. There may be, there are some quiet, private skeptics among us. So here's a question I want to pose to you. I didn't pose this in the first service, but I'm posing it to you now. If Jesus died, as the Bible says it did, if he rose again from the dead like the Bible says he did, if all that's true, as I believe it is, where does that leave you? If it's true, where does that leave you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's Easter Sunday, greatest weekend in the history of the universe, it's what we're celebrating, and you are alive, I'm so glad that when I talk to you right now, I know that I'm talking to someone who's alive, <laughs> I'm not talking to a corpse, I'm talking to a Christ. Lord, in this room there are people, most of whom are Christians, most of whom I, I would assume are saved. But we Christians get so hard-headed. Over time we develop a religion that doesn't change much from the, that of the old Pharisees. And you come to challenge us. You come to challenge the way things are, the way we are, to make us better. Help us to be open to your change. But Lord, there are also people here who have never, for the first time, invited you to be their Savior and their Lord. They don't think they need you. But oh, how badly they need you. Lord, I pray for someone to come and receive you as Savior to be saved right here on Easter Sunday. I can't think of a better day. Let this be the day. Someone goes home and says... Jesus saved me today. God help us to hear you on this day, the living Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you're here and you've never been saved, I urge you to come. I want to help you pray as you receive Christ. If you're a Christian, ask yourself this question. What is Jesus trying to disrupt in my life? What about my own religion? Is he trying to upend? What does he want to do? What will you do with this risen Savior right now as we sing?